it's Pentecost Sunday, as Dean and Ruth have already mentioned, and we are wanting to just take a moment to recognise that and to and thank the Lord, really, for the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to pray quickly before I dive into today's sermon. Uh, this is a prayer from a book called The Valley of Vision, and it's a Puritan prayer book. So these prayers are very old, but they're so powerful. And this prayer is called The Spirit of Jesus. So if you just want to close your eyes and just allow the Lord to, uh, to work in you as I pray this corporate prayer for us. Lord Jesus Christ, fill us with thy spirit, that we may be occupied with your presence. We are blind. Send him to make us see. Dark, let him say, let there be light. May he give us faith to behold, my name engraven in thy hand. Our souls and bodies redeemed by your blood, our sinfulness covered by the life of pure obedience. Replenish us by your revealing grace that we may realize our indissoluble union with you, that we may know you have espoused us to yourself forever in righteousness, love, mercy, faithfulness, that we are one with thee as a branch with its stock, as a building with its foundation. May your comforts cheer us in our sorrows. Your strength sustain us in our trials. Your blessings revive us in our weariness. Your presence render us a fruitful tree of holiness. Your might establish us in peace and joy. Your incitements make us ceaseless in prayer. Your animation, kindle in us undying devotion. Send Christ as the searcher of our hearts to show us more of our corruptions and helplessness that we may flee to you, cling to you, rest on you as the beginning and end of our salvation. May we never vex him by our indifference and waywardness, grieve him by our cold welcome, Resist him by our hard rebellion. Answer our prayers, O Lord, for your great name's sake. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit today. We thank you that without the Holy Spirit, we see nothing of truth. We see nothing of light and Christ in this world. And so, Lord, the mere fact that we're here wanting to sit under the word of God today is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. So as we open up the word of God today, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would cause a crop to grow in our hearts, that you would reap what you have sown in us, Lord, and that you would be glorified through that work. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, as Dean said, if you want to open those up to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 5 and 6. If you're on your phone, you want to open up your Bible there. Uh, we're going to be starting a brand new ser uh, series today, a series on prayer. You might have noticed as you came in, there were a couple of bits of paper on your chair. Um, one is a very snazzy bookmark for you to use in your real Bibles, your paper Bibles, if you like. And the other was uh, a prayer calendar. 
And so you'll have noticed that um, each day there is a list of names for you to pray for. And this goes back to a few weeks ago when we were finishing up our study in 1 John. And we read in 1 John 5 about the power of praying for one another by name, individually. And how that when we do that, we are actually giving that person life in a very real sense when we pray for them individually. So we felt as a leadership, it would be great for us to just every day see this in our fridge and just take up those names in prayer and just watch what the Lord does. So that's what you've got on your, your seats. For me, it's not a new series without a bookmark. Um, so you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to read from the ESV, uh, Ma- Matthew rather, chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Uh, we're going to be over the next round about eight weeks. Um, whenever we're covering this subject, we're going to be working through the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, so that's what we're going to be doing in this series. So we're actually going to step it back a little bit into verse 5 and begin there rather than with our Father. So I'm going to read from verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Amen. So why devote a whole series to the subject of prayer at this stage of the church's life? Um, you know, we've only been going as a church for about eight months, something thereabouts. But ever since we got started, this has been something that won't go away for us as a leadership. We've felt provoked, really, I certainly have, on the subject of prayer. We've really felt the Holy Spirit nudging us for quite a while to take prayer more seriously. And personally, I've really felt, I don't know about you, but I've felt challenged on my prayer life. I know that some of you have too. You've, you've joined me at 7.15 on Monday mornings and prayed over Zoom, or you've joined Ruth at 6.30 on Sundays for, for the prayer meeting there. I've felt personally challenged on my prayer life uh, since starting Hope City Church. And I think I've been spurred on by what I see the Lord doing in your lives as well. The mere fact that at seven o'clock in the morning, I'm getting emails saying so-and-so is in the waiting room ready to pray. I think, wow, that's, that's really challenging me. So I think we as a, a church have felt really pressed by the Spirit of the Lord on the subject of prayer. And I think it's a realization of what prayer really is. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever stopped to think what prayer is? You know, we're so used to I guess the word, aren't we? Pray, prayer. We, we're used to these things. And if you've been in church as long as I have, these things become like kind of part of the furniture, don't they? It's, oh yeah, we're Christians, we pray. But sometimes we have to stop and think a little bit, don't we, what we mean by prayer. Like, what is it? What actually is it? And I think it's the realization that prayer is literally a conversation with God. You know? When you break it down like that, prayer is a conversation with Almighty God. That's pretty nuts, isn't it? That's crazy when you think of it like that. What's what it really is? You know, we're given an audience with God. And when we pray, we're petitioning God who made all things, who governs all things, 
We're petitioning him to act now on earth. Isn't that wild? That's just insane, isn't it? Pretty awesome. The Westminster Larger, Larger Catechism, which is a, a Presbyterian um, statement of faith, in its question 178, uh, is, the question is, what is prayer? And the answer is, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ, by the help of his Spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. I don't think it by, by any stretch covers all of prayer, but there's a very basic definition of what it is. I think it's really noteworthy that in this confession of faith, the word desires is used. Isn't that remarkable that we're given permission not just to pray for what we feel we ought to pray for, but we're given permission to pray for our desires. Isn't that amazing? We're given permission to bring what is in our heart, whatever's burning in our hearts, whatever we care about, to God. And prayer is the real interface of our relationship with Him, isn't it? More than any other discipline, like reading Scripture, like witnessing to others about Christ, prayer is literally the coalface of our relationship with God. Like that's where the secret history is built up. That's where it plays out. There's a genuine conversation happening. There's a to and there's a fro. There's a speaking and there's an a listening. And I want for us as a church, very simply in the next eight weeks, I want for us to realize this. I want for us to realize the possibilities of prayer. I want for us to think about the possibilities of prayer. If we realize and grasp the truth that when we pray, we are literally inviting God who breathed out stars to act on earth in the here and now, then what is possible? What's possible in prayer? You know, it's very often said, isn't it, that nothing on earth happens in the kingdom without somebody first praying. This is remarkable and it's true. It's true. When you read of the greats throughout history, it was through their prayers that they saw wonderful things happen. There's the great story of Evan Roberts and the Welsh Revival. Um, before ever they saw people come to Christ and began baptizing people in rivers, Evan Roberts would be in the coal mines praying every day and witnessing outside the mine to people about Jesus. And I think it's true. I think the Lord ordains prayer in a very special way, uh, more so than any other way in order to do things on earth. It's, it's wonderful. Before we get into it, I do want to answer a quick apologetics question, which I'm sure some of you will enjoy. And, and it's one that I get asked quite regularly. And, and that's this. Some, some will notice that I preach and teach, because I believe the Bible does, that God is sovereign. And by that, I, I'm willing to open that out more and, and uh, preach more on that in future. But by that, I mean simply that this, that God ordains, he ordains all things which come to pass. I believe that's scriptural. Um, and some will say, well, if that's the truth and God really does ordain everything which comes to pass, then what's the point of prayer? Surely you'd find yourself praying against God's will. Well, I think the question or the accusation you don't care about prayer if you teach God is sovereign. I think it misses the point on a number of levels. Because yes, number one, Scripture teaches God is in absolute control. He works 
all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11. Isaiah 46.10 says that he declares the end from the beginning. Think of that. Declares the end from the beginning of everything. But scripture also teaches that we have been asked by God to pray. Scripture also commands us to pray. Jesus commands us to pray. And he's chosen prayer in a very unique way as the means by which he will bring about his purposes on earth. So I think that God doesn't just ordain the ends. He doesn't just ordain the ends of all things that will come to pass. He ordains the means by which those things will come to pass. And he's ordained prayer as the means by which he will bring about his purposes on earth through his church. And for me, I find this actually really comforting because I know that when I pray, it certainly is bringing about some purpose of God, either internally within me or externally around me. And brothers and sisters, I'd rather pray to a God who is sovereign and who has ordained that I should pray in order to bring about his purposes than a God who can only do what he wants if I let him. If that were the case, and we were worshipping a God who actually his purposes are thwarted, and he can only do what he wants if people will let him, then surely we'd just be better off petitioning people rather than praying to God. Since God's purposes could be thwarted, but people get what they want. Does that make sense? <laughs> I'd prefer to pray to a God who has ordained prayer as the means by which he will bring about his certain purposes in the earth. The Bible is what I believe, and the Bible is what I profess, and the Bible is what I want to preach. And the Bible affirms both that God is sovereign and that we have responsibility. It affirms that God has declared the end from the beginning, but also that we should pray. It declares that he knows what you need before you even ask it, but then it tells us we should pray for what we need. So <laughs> sometimes these things don't fit inside our heads all too easily, and we want to superimpose our own educations and, and our own mindsets onto things, but it's, it's scripture that we have to believe at the end of the day, and we have to hold these truths somehow in harmony, even if they don't seem to always make full sense to us. So prayer is God's chosen method for bringing about his purposes on the earth. Who wants to be a part of bringing about God's purposes on the earth? I do, I do, and I want for us to believe that when we pray, we're actively doing that. I think that's been lost. I think that I've lost the wonder of prayer in many ways over the years because I've somehow thought that I'm not being practical when I'm praying. Has anybody else suffered from that feeling that when you lock yourself away and you're praying, well, you could be doing X, Y, and Z, you could be connecting with this person, you could be planning that mission, you could be working, you could be serving your family. Why are you spending all that time sat praying? I think we've missed the point. I think we've missed the glory of prayer. I think we've misunderstood that God has chosen prayer, this humble activity that the world doesn't understand, and he's chosen this as his means to accomplish his great purposes 
in the earth. When we pray, we're being very practical. We're being very practical. My passage today, I think, really focuses on the question of how we're to pray. How are we to pray? What is the proper attitude for prayer and why? It begins, of course, with when you pray. When you pray. So, before we decide and think about what we are going to pray for, Jesus addresses how we're to pray. Before we get to the what, we have to answer the question, how? How are we to pray? And I love this. When you pray, not if you pray. Not when they pray or when you pray, sorry, or or when others pray, but when you pray. Prayer isn't an added extra, is it, to the Christian life? It's not an added extra. It's something that we're all called to do. It's not that there's in the church, there's a select group of prayer warriors that we let them do the praying, right? We send Janice the prayer list and we crack on with the real important stuff. No, when you pray, we're all called to do this thing. It isn't like the gifts of the Spirit where there are some that have a unique gifting for prophecy. You know, the Bible does talk about other gifts, tongues, but the Bible says not all will speak with tongues. But prayer is something that all are called to do and all can do. When Spurgeon was asked, what's more important, prayer or reading the Bible? He responded, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? I want to ask the question, do you see prayer as an essential part of your day? Do you see prayer as important? Is it something that you do? If we have no hunger to pray, and I, I want to address this, and I want to be real, okay? Because these are struggles. Sometimes we go through seasons in life where we don't have this like innate hunger to, to pray. We don't have this innate hunger to read the Bible. Can we be honest about that? We go through seasons like that. But what I've found, and I think this runs true, is that prayer and the study of Scripture, like Spurgeon says, are somehow really connected. So if I don't have hunger to do one, but maybe I can manage the other, if I start doing that thing, if I start studying Scripture, all of a sudden I find that I've got more of a hunger to pray. It's so funny. And then sometimes if I just, I don't know if I could pick my Bible up today. If I start praying, suddenly I find that I've got energy to want to study the Bible. The two are in some kind of symbiotic relationship. I don't know if you've noticed that. But they go hand in hand. So I would encourage us, you know, if we want to be more careful about our reading of Scripture, pray more. If you want to be more on fire in prayer, read the Bible more. The two are united. But let's move on, shall we? I think we've proved the point that we're supposed to pray. What I love about the Bible, and particularly about our Lord, is that He never minces His words. And this is why, as a church... We go verse by verse, okay? Because we want to give you the real Jesus. Because only the real Jesus can edify you. Only the real Jesus can save you. So we don't want to airbrush Christ. And I'm worried. I'm worried that in the church today, many want to put an Instagram filter on the Bible. Right? We love John 3.16. We hate Deuteronomy 26. You know? (laughs) 
the curses of not obeying the law of God. We love reading about the grace of God and the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. How often do you hear a pastor preach on Job? You know, that's what worries me. And our Lord did not mince his words. He actually puts this question of how should we pray, he puts it in the negative first, doesn't he? doesn't put it in the positive first. He says, you must not be like the hypocrites. Pardon? You're criticizing a group of people, Lord. How unchristlike of you. You must not be like the hypocrites. He addresses the attitude of heart in prayer and the manner in which we ought to pray. Pray, rather. He puts it negatively first. He says, you must not be like the hypocrites when you pray, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So what's Jesus saying here? The hypocrites do a number of things when they pray. They stand. They stand up when they pray. Is it wrong to stand when we pray? They pray in synagogues and at street corners. Is it wrong to pray in public? Well, this is where proper exegesis comes in, right? Because I don't think Jesus is telling us we're not supposed to stand up when we pray. And I don't think Jesus is saying we can't pray in public. Would you agree? Right? We've got many examples in Scripture of people praying in public. We've got Moses on the battlefield against the Amalekites, haven't we? After the Israelites grumble in the wilderness and he splits the rock at Meribah and the water comes out, then the Amalekites came. This is a crazy passage, actually, that I would love to preach at some point. But think of this, okay? God's delivered his people out of Egypt. Here they are in the wilderness. And they're thirsty. And they are thirsty, okay? And they actually get what they want from God. They grumble and they get what they want. They get water. But they also get a battle straight after. It just interests me. It just interests me how much in the Old Testament, and particularly in the journey of Exodus, the sin of grumbling is mentioned again and again and again, isn't it? And that convicts me. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I face circumstances in life that trouble me, my first response is often to grumble. And I, I don't know... I, when I look at the Old Testament more and more as I get older and as I walk with the Lord longer, I identify with the Israelites so much <laughs> in my sin and in my grumbling. You know, they got what they wanted. But the Lord made sure that they got something else too. You know, and I think that just, I think that's, that's what pops out to me is just like, how is my heart when I walk through certain circumstances that I don't like? You know, how am I processing that is my first go-to to grumble you know and <laughs> is my first go-to grumbling rather than prayer they asked Moses to pray on their behalf didn't they and I just wonder if things have been different I wonder if they turned to prayer I, I don't know maybe the Amalekites wouldn't have come I'm not sure but I just I found that interesting grumbling is one thing mentioned over and over again that really offends God and yet how often do I find myself wanting to have a good old moan about something challenging so we've got examples of people praying in public we've got people praying uh standing up we've got jesus on the cross praying in public 
We've got the disciples in the upper room, actually, haven't we? Praying before the fall of the Holy Spirit. So it isn't the action of standing up that praying that's wrong. It's not praying in public that's wrong. It's actually the motive, isn't it? It's the motive that Jesus is criticizing, that they want to be seen by others. They want to be called the wonderful man of God, the woman of God. Oh, how amazing. And what's interesting is that when we hear that, there are people that are hypocrites and they pray in public. We think, how strange. Like, who walks out into a street corner and just starts praying? That, you know, if you were to do that in this country, you'd be looked at like a total crackpot, wouldn't you? But actually... In Israel at the time, there were prescribed times of prayer every day. And so what these people would do, I'll, I'll read you a, um, a quote actually from one of the commentators here. What they would do is quite interesting. So there were, there were prayers offered at prescribed times. You can read about those times in Psalm 55 and Daniel 6. Um, and it wasn't, be- it wasn't beyond the ingenuity, it says, of some of the order of the Pharisees to order their affairs... So order their kind of to-do list in the day to make sure that they were in a public place at the prescribed time of prayer. So then they'd be compelled to pray in public. Well, I'm here, I'm on the street corner and it's half night, whatever it is, and I've got to pray in public now. And so they'd order their day around being seen. And I think this is the point. This is the point Jesus is making here that we have to be careful to note. With prayer, as with all visible acts of worship, brothers and sisters, there's a temptation And that goes for preaching and teaching as well. There's a temptation towards using these disciplines in order to manipulate people. In order to manipulate people to gain a reputation for ourselves as great women and men of God. To the hypocrite, the only kind of prayer or worship that's got any value is that which is noticed by others. Does that make sense? That's what hypocritical prayer is whether in public or these days on social media. You know, to the hypocrite, secret prayer is only worth doing if you can share an Instagram story about it. (laughs) Now Jesus says, those who do that have already received their reward. That is, they've received what they really wanted when they started to pray, and that is attention. They got their attention. And Jesus says, don't be like that. And I would encourage you, don't be like that in prayer, And don't be like that in any other spiritual discipline. And recognize that there's a heart in you that wants those things. We're still wrestling against flesh, aren't we, in this this side of glory. And so if we fail to recognize that, yeah, you know, sometimes when I stand up and do things or when friends notice that I pray, there's I know that my flesh is going to want to kind of put up a bit of a fight, you know? And so it's being aware of that when we come to pray. We're We're not doing this to gain an audience with anyone else other than God. That's our audience, is is just Him. And we can pray in public, and our audience can be Him. We can pray in private, our audience can be Him. Jesus says, go into your inner room and shut the door when you pray. Augustine, the church father, said this, which I, I really like. He's just got away with words. He said, outside the inner chamber are all things in time and space which knock on the door. Through our bodily senses, they clamor to interrupt our prayer so that prayer is invaded with a crowd of vain phantoms. And this is why you must shut the door. The senses of the body are resisted and the spirit of prayer may be directed to the Father. Now, when we shut the door, we go into this this inner room. 
it, it's, a, it's a call to a place of privacy and a call to a place of silence. When we go into an inner room, we're shutting the door on distractions. We're shutting the door on noise. And that can be physical noise. And that can be the kind of noise that whatever's bothering you that day. You know, you flicked your phone on and the headline on BBC News or whatever. It was a noise to you. It was distracting. And Jesus isn't saying that you've got to find some room in your house that has no windows. Right? And that you can only pray in this, this tameon, which is the Greek word for inner room. He's not saying that. He's just saying that there's this practice of prayer whereby we ought to be shunning the world. We ought to be walking away from the things that distract us, whatever they might be, and getting alone with God. We're shutting the door on the urgent. Brothers and sisters, how often do you get that time to yourself? You know, we, we often crave that time, don't we? And I think this is a call and encouragement to try and find that. Life is busy. Life is full, isn't it? Even when we were in lockdown, I think there was a statistic that said the other day that people have actually felt more tired in lockdown than they did before. And there's a number of reasons for that. I think as much as anything, because we're, we're on technology more. We're on Zoom calls or computers for large portions of the day. We're getting blue light in our eyes all the time and constant things happening. And people are feeling more tired than ever. So I think this is a real encouragement right now to try and find these inner room moments in prayer, which is to shut those things off, to turn the phone off for just a bit of time to get alone with God. Margaret Magdalene, who was a, a, content, a contemplative, um, I think she was a nun, and she, she said this, she said, I love this quote. She said that Jesus in his times of solitary prayer refused to submit to the tyranny of the urgent. The tyranny of the urgent. You know, urgent things, unless you're very guarded against them, they will drive the ship of your life. They will determine what you do every day, the urgent things. Right? Unless you're guarded against them, that's how your life will be dictated. So-and-so needs to be called right now. You need to do this. You've got to call that person there. You've got to make dinner. You've got to... Urgent things will drive the ship of your life unless you're intentional to do otherwise. And I think this is a call for us in prayer to order our lives so that we get those times when we go into prayer and the door is shut, whether physically or whether we're just turning our phone off for a certain period of time so we can be alone with God. I think this is what Jesus is really getting at. He says, pray to your father who's in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. The biblical commentator McNeil said, um, the secret of religion is religion in secret. Now, you may not like the word religion for Christianity, but it's what it is. It is a religion and a relationship. Okay? And I like the turn of phrase there. I think it's true. I think it's very easy, very easy to do Christianity publicly. Very hard to do it privately. You know, what does our life look like when only God is watching? What does your prayer life look like when it's only him that sees, you know? Very easy to do public Christianity, harder to do real private Christianity. I think Jesus says that the only thing we really need to know in prayer, and the only thing that we need, we need to know in order to motivate us to pray is simply this, that God is there in secret. It says, pray to your Father who is in secret. He's there in that secret place waiting for us to come 
and to sit with him and to communicate with him. I think that's such a powerful way of putting it. The Father waits for us in secret. Furthermore, it says that he who is in secret will reward us. There's a reward to prayer. There's a reward to prayer. One of the church fathers, a guy called Crematius, said this, We find in the book of Kings that very holy woman Hannah fulfilling the precepts of this gospel teaching. For while praying without uttering a sound, in her heart and in the sight of God, she poured out her desire in prayers. She was immediately found worthy to be heard by the Lord. In the same way, the Lord granted to Daniel, who always prayed in secret with three servants, to understand the interpretations of his dream and the secrets of Revelation. Cornelius too, not yet instructed in the precepts of the gospel, prayed secretly and faithfully in his room and was found worthy to hear the voice of the angel speaking. What should we say of Jonah, who not only in his room but trapped in the stomach of a whale deserved so greatly to be heard through his prayers from the depths of the sea and from the belly of so great a beast he escaped unharmed and alive. As a reward for secret prayer, prayer that only God sees. And in all of this, brothers and sisters, I want for us to remember that when we pray, we're doing something. We're imitating Jesus. We're imitating Jesus. We're mirroring Christ. We're following him. We pray, firstly, not because we're good people, not because we've got it figured out. You pray because the Spirit prays in you. You've been given a new heart. His Spirit is in you because Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you because of the Father's great electing love for his children. You see, prayer life, a prayer life is the sign of a new birth. A prayer life is like a heartbeat in the spiritual. You know, it's a vital sign of life that you look for to see whether God is doing something in you. When I say prayer life, you know, I'm not talking about the kind of prayer that, you know, somebody throws up once a year when their plane hits turbulence. I'm talking about a pattern of prayer in our lives. You know, maybe your pattern of prayer doesn't look super kind of rigorous right now, but, but it's something, you know. Maybe it's a, little, it's a little irregular, but there's a heartbeat there. I think this is the question really. Is, is there a dependence upon God in your life? Is there dependence on God? Dependence on God always plays out in prayer, doesn't it? Because if you depend on yourself, why do you need to pray to God? What's he going to give to you? You can do everything you need to do. If there's dependence on God, there'll be prayer. There'll be prayer in your life. I would say this. Is there a need to be in his presence? Is there a need in your life to pray? The way to grow in that area is the same way that we grow in any spiritual area. And that's, as I say, is absolute dependence on God. Have you given yourself fully to him? Have you come to the end of yourself and all of your abilities and your feeble efforts to make something of yourself in this world? If so, then good. Good. I think part of God's work sometimes in my life is to bring me to the end of myself. He, he lets me unravel and lets me work through all of my vain efforts until I'm just, I'm shot, I'm done, I haven't got anything else to give. And he goes, good, 
Now I've got you in the place where I need you, where you have stopped trying and now you're dependent on me. Let's give up our striving, shall we? Let's give up our striving. Let's give up all of our efforts to make something of ourselves and let's lean into God. Let's lean into God for all that we need. Let's pray to him and let's believe that he is the one who can work in us a pattern of prayer. I think finally this, where I'm going to finish and we're going to just take a little time in prayer. Um, our ultimate reward in prayer, because it does say we get a reward, the ultimate reward isn't actually anything that we pray for. The ultimate reward is God. He is the ultimate reward in prayer. And I think this is the most cool thing ever, is when we grasp that, that God is there waiting for us in the secret place. He's there already. And that he is also the great reward for our prayer life. I think we begin to realize something of what those who wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith meant when they said, what is the chief end of man? It is to enjoy, sorry, it is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I think prayer is about enjoying God. And enjoying God looks like prayer. And I would like for us to grow in our joy. I would like for us to grow in our prayer life. I'd like for us to grow, and me, in our enjoyment of him. Not just in what he can give. You know, so much in this world is about enjoying things. And so much, sadly, of Western Christianity is about getting stuff from God, but not getting him. I want for us as a church to enjoy God really enjoy God. And I believe it's prayer, the place of prayer that leads us into that. So I'm going to take just a few moments now, uh, just five minutes. I want for us to turn to the people uh, behind us or around us in groups of uh, four or so. And I want for us to just begin to pray for one another that God might deepen our walk with him in the coming weeks and months, that the Lord might grow us in our prayer lives and that we might know something of what Jesus is talking about here, that we might begin to enjoy God and enjoy that place of prayer. I want for us to pray that for one another. I really sense as we finish this series on prayer that this church is going to look different that our lives are going to look different. So let's do that. Let's spend five minutes just with people around us, just praying into one another's prayer lives. If you have prophetic words, go for it. You know, feel free to share those or scriptures or whatever. And if you want to pray about anything that the Lord lays on your heart, you're, of course you're free to do that. But just spend five minutes doing that now, and then I'll get Pip back up to lead us. Okay? Let's go for it.